Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello there, Ashley Banfield here, and this is Rising Tide, the place where I bring some of the greatest mentor minds to you. If you care about your craft and you want to be better at what you do, I want to help you with that. You know, it's easy to assume that you need an Ivy League education to really make it big. But each month, I feature VIP mentors who are leaders in their industry, and they say, that's not true. They're going to prove to you that you don't have to have highbrow connections to create your own personal best. And they've agreed to share their tips, their secrets, and their career advice with you. This is Rising Tide. I'm so thrilled to have a good friend of mine and, and someone I've looked up to for a very long time, uh, Greta Van Susteren, joining us from Newsmax, formerly Fox News and formerly CNN, and then formerly lawyer. So there's that whole career to talk about as well. Let me give a quick um, uh, little sort of uh, synopsis of, of your extraordinary career. Greta, can you can you give me that? I'm just going to do this. It'll take about a minute. All right. Go ahead. There you go. <laughs> Don't flush. Uh, okay, 28 years, a veteran of cable news. And like I said, that's 28 years plus the lawyer's uh, you know, career as well. She is the host of The Record on Newsmax TV. And prior to Newsmax, Greta was most recently host of Gray's TV nationally syndicated Sunday political affairs program, Full Court Press, and was the station group's chief national political analyst. She simultaneously anchored Voice of America's weekly television program, Plugged In, which covered foreign policy, U.S. domestic affairs, and was broadcast in 48 different languages. In 2002, Greta joined Fox News, where she anchored on the record the highest rated cable news program in its primetime slot for the entire 14 and a half years that it was airing there. Uh, prior to Fox, Greta worked at CNN for seven years. Uh, where she started out as a legal analyst and became co-host of CNN's daily legal program, Burden of Proof. She went on to host the channel's primetime news and analysis show The Point with Greta Van Susteren and also was my guide through the O.J. Simpson case. So there's that. Thank you for that. I don't think I've ever told you, Greta, that you were the person who helped me understand all of the legal aspects, as well as Jeffrey Tubin. Uh, and I remember just like hanging on your every words all through that case. And then that sparked my fascination with legal journalism. So mwah, thank you to you for that. Thank you. Yeah. Wow. Listen. You, missed that. you missed I got fired from MSNBC. Oh, wait a minute. Hold it. <laughs> I got fired from MSNBC. But we've all been fired from MSNBC. Isn't that just yes, kind of what we mine, go through stop signs and we get fired from MSNBC? But mine, mine, was, mine was catered. Yours was what? Catered. <laughs> Well, tell me, if someone asks, I'll tell the whole story. But anyway, go ahead. Fire away. I, I look at firings as badges of honor. They certainly uh, they come throughout this career. You have to expect them. And then you've got to really, uh, you know, harness them for your benefit. I want to start with our youngest um, uh, participant who came upon my radar within this last year. His name's Wyatt Sharp. He's on the Zoom. It might be that he's in class. And so he has to keep it quiet because he's in eighth grade. And Wyatt is 
just simply a remarkable young man who has sought out guidance from as many people in the industry as he can, because this is his passion. He has a YouTube program. Um, he has booked some of the top guests in the world, including the Canadian prime minister and members of the U.S. cabinet, uh, top journalists. He's a pretty fascinating uh, kid on his own right. He is in Clarington, Ontario, and this is the question he has for you. Okay. Okay. Wyatt Sharp asks, how do you balance working for a conservative news outlet like Newsmax while still needing to hold your guests accountable? Uh, Wyatt, uh, thank you for the question. And actually, uh, it's extraordinarily easy. One of the things is I've been in the business so long that I'm, first of all, the managing editor of my show, which means the buck stops here. If you don't like my show, blame me 100 percent. Do not blame Newsmax. Um, but, you know, I got to have that role because over the course of many years, I learned that this is something very important is the independence of journalism. Yes, my show is on a network that skews conservative. Uh, but the irony of it is, is that the no net show I've had and actually listed the different networks I've had, I've had pretty much the same show at every single network, even having pretty much the same name. At Fox News, it's called On the Record. At MSNBC, it was For the Record. Now this is The Record. And that spans, uh, well, it spans 21, 22 years right there. So it's been all the same. The other odd thing is that Many times my staff at the, at the different networks are the same people. So the same people putting the show. So it is essentially, at least in my view, the same show. Um, and, and, you know, holding people accountable, it's like, you know, Ashley will tell you too. So, you know, we do our job, you know, the best we can for the hours we have. And our colleagues do the best they can and what they believe to be right for the hours they have. What has unfortunately happened is that cable news, which has morphed from Ted Turner's original version, uh, uh, original mission of uh, the news is the star, it has changed dramatically since about 1980 when uh, CNN was launched, and it has become, in some instances, um, almost a team sport. And I think it's it, it's a team sport more so on the media websites because you can see that Ashley and I are good friends. We're different networks. It's not the individuals. You know, we all like each other. We see each other. We're not playing sports, but you read what is said in the, in the websites and you'll see that it's, you know, that's a big battle. Now that is now, of course, now morphed onto networks. You'll see some TV shows spend an awful lot of time talking about anchors and shows and other networks. I don't, um, but I have a different mission. And I think in part, my education, um, which is to deliver the facts, has contributed to that. But I, I have no problem holding people accountable at uh, at uh, Newsmax, Fox, uh, or when I was at MSNBC, although I didn't last there. Well, again, badge of honor, because um, <laughs> there are many of us who are in that boat. So, you know, I want to dovetail on Wyatt's question, Greta, and that is about the change in cable news, because I've been in it for 35. I've been in television news um, for 35 years and 23 of it have been in cable news. And I have witnessed just an incredible, like a seismic shift in the, you know, the foundation of it, the polarization of it, et cetera. Where do you see it going from where we are now? Well, I don't see it going in a particular direction, but let me just back up to a little globally, is that in the quote old days, um, reporters went out on the road. You had a show where you went out on the road. And believe me, the rest of us were jealous when you had that show because you were traveling around when you were doing that, because that's really what journalists should be doing. But unfortunately, that's expensive. And it's very it's very inexpensive to keep people inside the studio and talking. You know, that's not it's, it's so much cheaper, I should say, than sending reporters out. And so what I do see is that I see, you know, more and more people are just going to stay in the studio. I see more and more people will be cutting the cord for cable because it's expensive and they can get it free on the Internet. So I see it a very sort of shrinking. But 
I do see that there will still be a huge appetite for the news. Um, one of the things that's been that has been sort of glorious for news is that people can hold up their phones and be citizen journalists, and then we take that video so we can put people right there on the spot rather than us telling it what it is. But I think a lot of it will depend on the credibility of the person who's delivering it back to the studio. Um, so I don't see it going in a particularly good direction until somebody decides to sort of, you know, put his foot down and say, look, we're going we're gonna to try to go back to that bright yellow line between news gathering, like a newspaper, and opinion. And, and instead what's happened, it has now gotten all squished together. It's sometimes hard to just tell different news gathering and opinion. But until some news organization tries to do that, I think News Nation is, is making an effort to be very fact-driven. And I think that's, you know, that's what they're trying to do. But at the same token is that it, without, unless news action gets some really sharp opinion, you know, they're, they're going to have a harder time drawing an audience. So it, it's a balance. And there'll always be place for opinion. Uh, there'll always be place for that. They're always it's important. Happy. Yeah, it's, it's hugely important. important. It's been a whole section think. in the news for in the newspapers for yeah, it. It makes you think. I had someone on the other night and who said something and I, I had a completely different thought going into the show. And the person said something. I thought, oh, you know, maybe, you know, maybe I'm wrong. I said, OK, I said, I, you know, you, you, you got me. You sold me. You know, so but, you know, robust debate is important. It makes us think. Yeah, it's also I hate to say this in this term. It's extraordinarily entertaining when you can change someone's uh, viewpoint because it's rare. And so if you can make a compelling case and if you can debate, I mean, that's in high school, I was on the debate team for this reason, to try to convince people of my point of view. And so when that can be done, it shows remarkable skill in the orator. And it also shows, you know, um, a, a nimbleness of mind in, in those who are listening. So I've always been a big fan of opinion, as long as it's clearly labeled and the, and the viewer knows. Yeah. But, but you know, the thing is, it's have, it's have good hearted, robust opinion. Yes. Here's the fake difference between being nasty. You know, that's hundred percent. Yeah. yeah, the slinging of arrows makes me vomit um, when I see, you know, and social media has really taken on that role of being the arrow slinger, which I don't think is beneficial to anybody. Um, again, opinion's important, but, you know, polemics are not. Nobody needs that. Uh, we should be better at um, holding each other accountable in this extraordinary country that we've created. And I hope we're not, you know, <laughs> disassembling uh, in real time. So what about online? Let, let's talk a little bit about linear versus online. Um, you know, cable news used to be just CNN, then the proliferation of other cablers, now the proliferation of online, um, you know, and uh, over-the-top um, uh, con consumption, but then also social media as a news source. Give me your thoughts on sort of that whole big cocktail. Well, first of all, you know, you and I, we're all going to morph to, I think, online anyway. And in fact, we're all, you can get smart TVs and we're all online already. Um, I do, you know, that just means basically news on demand for the most part, which I think is, is good. Um, you got to separate, you know, the, the news online and the streaming from the nasty part, which people talk about, which is Twitter, because that doesn't, that doesn't foster, that doesn't foster a good debate or anything else. It just makes people, you know, people rather uh, cruel to each other. Um, but online is great because, it, you know, look, it's a great equalizer. It spreads out the news. You know, when, when Ted Turner decided to bring news uh, satellite, you know, around the world, I mean, now this is like putting Ted Turner's theory basically on crack because now everybody can put it on his phone. Yeah. I keep wondering why it hasn't happened sooner. Sort of the, the CNN of the Internet, you know, something where instantly, you know, if you have four minutes on your bus, you can click on and see live news at that moment. And it just, nothing has really but, become the next CNN. 
because nobody's been able to monetize it. That's the big problem. You know, it's like, how do you make money on the internet? You can, you can put those ads on it, but that doesn't bring in quite the ad revenue that the TV does. You know, it's like, you know, the great experiments, like, I don't know, Fox, Fox Nation, uh, Fox Nation is their online streaming service. Um, they're not releasing the number of people are watching. I don't know, but you know, I, you know, it's, it's very, it, these are very expensive ventures. Look at CNN, what they tried to do. They spent a fortune. And then when, uh, when uh, Discovery bought CNN, they immediately pulled it back because it's an awful lot of money. And there's sort of a lot of build and they shall come, but the problem is they the money hasn't come. So I think money is, is the biggest uh, impediment to seeing more of it uh, more faster to the internet. Yeah, I'd always thought the simplest way would be to have one side or like a third of the screen as the advertising banner that's up at all times, because that's like, you know, you're a captive audience. If you're watching the news wheel and it's real and it's in live uh, real time, you'll, you'll dabble into it at any moment. Just like we used to always, you know, consider cable was this, this victory in our lives that we didn't have to wait till six o'clock anymore. We could just dabble in it at any moment. Now you could literally do it in your hand, but nobody's figured out how simply. Yeah, but look at look at it when it was like that. So you had three people, and typically it was you know three men back in 1960 who decided what people across the country should have as news. It was 22 minutes to the half hour news, which means 22 minutes, and they decided for you. Now, now the now the news consumer you know can be very smart, can shop around, has a remote in his hand, has a telephone in his hand. So now that now the consumer has to is has much many more options, but also has to you know has to be aggressive about it. All right, let's go from the business side to the to the sort of career building side. I got a great question from Stephanie Haynes in Dallas, Texas. It's a very simple question and you're the perfect person for it. Law school, yes or no? <laughs> 100% yes. And I'll tell you why. Or if you don't go to law school and you want to be a journalist, at least uh, go uh, audit a law school evidence class because that really does pound the basics into you as to what are fact, what are opinion, what's hearsay and it really it gives you a sense of like in the courtroom we don't I, I'm I do not like the overuse of anonymous sources I mean you read every article and someone close to somebody saying something people do drive by smears in the courtroom you have to say who you are you have to identify who you are and they're just sort of basic principles of the law that I think make for very effective journalists so um, law school you can't go wrong law school you can be a waitress in Paris with a law school address if you want to or a waiter um, with a law school degree do anything you want with a law school degree but more than anything if you don't want to do that take an evidence course audit one it's great and there's also um, you know terrific programs out there for journalists the journalism law program at Marymount or at Loyola is fantastic it's tricky to get into it's very selective but I highly recommend everyone look at it it's about what is a four-day five-day program very intensive and um, you learn just a remarkable amount or work at court TV for a while because that'll help too <laughs> to know the that was my that that was my church, you know, with Jack Ford for five years. I felt like I had a law. Well, I did. I had a Yale law professor sitting beside me for five years who taught me absolutely everything um, that I know today. And it's not enough yet, but certainly got me some good grounding. If only I'd been sitting beside you, Greta. We never had that chance. I know. Well, there's all. Well, you never know. Everything, every, whatever can happen in this business. Yeah, it's right. There's still time. There's still time. All right. Uh, Betsy Goldman has this very cryptic question. Yeah, I know her question. So you know. Okay, good. So uh, she says, "Please ask Greta if she can recall a great TV moment when she had Jose Feliciano on her CNN show. Does she recall why he was booked and what happened when he was on the show?" I think he was booked about some. Um, 
some protest in like Puerto Rico or something. Betsy Goldman's one who booked him. And I don't know what happened, but I think he came to sing his song and it went really off the rails and he walked off the set. But Betsy Goldman, who asked that question, was the one who booked him for that. Um, and it was probably 1998 before everybody was born on this call, practically. <laughs> and he walked off. Yeah, he walked up and it was a surprise. <laughs> wow. How many times have you had that happen that someone's walked off? That, that was the only time. That's the only time. He was actually remote. I mean, and I didn't even know he was leaving. You know, it's like he just sort of left. It was remote. Uh, I've had I've had some weird things happen. I'm trying to think if I've ever had anybody actually pick up and walk off. I don't think so. I'm not sure. I've had weird things. I've had weird things, too. I've had very weird. <laughs> Things have gone right off the rails. All right. Um, Chris Maloney from Atlanta asks, what are the kinds of people, skills, and habits that a person that a person should align with to find success? And then on the you know, contrary side to that, what are the landmines that everybody should avoid as they seek to, you know, um, prosecute their careers? All right. If, if you want to be a journalist, you've got to be curious. If you don't love the news or don't, then you don't get into it. I mean, you just, you just have to fundamentally be curious curious you have success in any field you go into if you really want to do it i mean some people are just looking for jobs some people are looking for careers but there's a big difference sometimes people have to have jobs because they've got to make the money to support their family or whatever it is but if you want a career you've got to get something that you really love and you've got to show up and do it and and look there's you know there's nothing wrong with working harder than everybody else nothing wrong with working longer than everybody else but and and that's easy to do if you love your work so um you know i've I've interviewed a lot of people over the years i recently had someone interview for a job who um i said have you seen my show and the answer was no and i thought okay well you really you know and that's okay but you really aren't that interested in working with me on my show if you haven't seen it i've had other people ask me questions like what do i have to come in every day and you know and tv you have to come in every day so you mean look if, if, you, if you're looking for a job don't come to the news business because we'll weed you out really fast um, if you come, if you come to the news business, you have the most exciting career ever. No two days will be alike. It'll make you, it'll make you go mad. It's so crazy in the business, um, but you have to love it. Um, and if you don't love it, get a different job. I I can't believe I muted myself and then you know made that classic mistake. Um, and a thick skin as well. I, I add to that. Like you've got oh, to both, you know. Skin. I'm ugly. I'm stupid. I'm a right wing fascist. I'm a left wing communist. I mean, I mean, I, I'm everything every single day, every single day. I mean, I, I can't be all the well, I, can, I can actually be ugly and stupid, but I can't be right wing and left wing on the same on the same topic. So, yes, having a thick skin helps. But look, you know, we all get it in the business. I mean, you know, nobody's it. Nobody who's been in the business hasn't hasn't heard the worst things about themselves. Yeah, I remember right after I had my first uh, baby. 17 and a half years ago, um, I was probably like 170 pounds or something at the time. I don't know, 165, maybe give or take. And uh, someone got my email configuration, which was tricky back then. People hadn't thought that through and sent me an email calling me a heifer and then all sorts of other really horrible things like of an anti-Semitic comment. Um, and I'm not Jewish, so I couldn't figure out where they got that from, but it was all sort of wrapped into one with no actual criticism of any of the work that I'd ever done. So I couldn't quite figure out where it was coming from or why, but it was just this opportunity to take this massive hit 
And, you know, uh, anybody who's ever had a baby knows you're not in a particularly good way. And, you know, the few months after you don't sleep, you're massive, you've lost your body. And so to see that, I remember sort of having this weird epiphany that um, that was going to be the the last email that ever hurt me um, because it did. It really did hurt me. And I thought, if that's going to hurt me, I'm not going to have a future. I'm just going to have to figure out a way to make a wall Um and and it, I don't know, it, it sort of worked, but every so often, you know, I know social media comes in. How are you? How are you with social media? I'm on social. I'm on Twitter all the time, and I actually have sort of fun with it because if you think about it, the people who send you know horrible things about you, you know, they're not particularly happy people. I mean, nobody nobody who's happy and doing well in life sits on Twitter sending mean tweets to you know, people. I, I for some reason, I, you if you if you follow me on Twitter, you see that that I have some fun with those people. I don't respond to people who are nice, but you no, know, respond to people who are awful, and they'll say. One person said, uh, I have no credibility, you know, working at Newsmax. And I go, oh, now my life's ruined. You say I have no credibility. Now, what am I going to do? How am I going to get up tomorrow? You know, it's like, but I mean, if you think about it, is that people who are unhappy are the ones who send those. And it's the only power they have is to get on that keyboard. So those don't, they don't bother me. And I'll tell you what bothers me, and I probably shouldn't say this, because there's one thing that really bothers me that you could say to me, not on Twitter, but um, if you say I'm, that I wasn't fair. For some reason, and I and like I will chew on that one for days and days. I wasn't fair. Did I do this? And that's the that's the only criticism that 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 completely spins me inward because I think God, I thought I was fair. You know, I want to be fair, but that's the only one. The rest of them, you know, it's like you know. But look, I have the you know, you and I actually we have the luxury of having thick skin because we've been in the business so long. And and frankly, it's like you know, if we both lost our job tomorrow, there are a lot of other things we probably want to do. You know, but if you're just starting in your career, you think that's the end of you know the end of the world. You know, it's like it's just horrible. I almost wish that I had been fired not in my you know early sixties, but that I'd been fired as a young person because I I tell you, being fired was the most unique experience because you wake up one day and some some organization is telling you. They don't want you, that you're worthless, you're, you're, you know, that to me was one of the most profound experiences in, in my, in my life, and I, you know, in terms of work. Um, and I almost wish that I understood what others went through, because I've seen, I've been around others that have been fired. I had no idea what being fired was like. You know something, I'm glad you brought that up, because um, I recall, and I was in my early 30s, um, how painful the, that process was. Um I mean, I was suicidal, uh, not, not a lie. I was absolutely destroyed by it. And I look at it now like, oh, it's Tuesday. You know, <laughs> firings are Tuesday. Anybody on this call better know as you get going, you're going to have lots of firings. And so be ready for them and don't let them um, get into your soul like I did. Uh, I wished I'd been a little bit more mature, maybe, or able to put it in perspective, but I just could not. I, I've, when you're on the front page of the business section of the New York Times being derided as a loser, you know, who's been thrown out by this pristine organization, it is, um, it, it can play a lot of tricks on you. And, and, and the businesses are sort of nasty because um, is that a week before I was fired, they said that my ratings were up, I don't have been there six months, were up 94% of the show I replaced. But between my firing and the time I got home, there was an article on Vanity Fair that you have to have a PhD in mathematics from MIT to come, come up with that I was such a loser. You know, it's like the, the numbers. So we look, you know, we all go through it, but you know, it's, it's like, and I think that's the most difficult part of the business. It's easy to go up. It's very easy to, easy to go up. The harder thing is when you go down. And, and the odd thing about me is that when I, when I was fired, I mean, it, it shocked me. 
is that some guy called me who um, used to be the head of Voice of America. And he said, uh, you know, meet me for a cup of coffee. And he told me about Voice of America. And I went over there and I volunteered because I mean, one of the other advantages of being in TV is they have to keep paying you after they fire you. you know, mm. so, but unless you get a job. Well, the last thing you want to do is get a job so that you let them off the hook. So I volunteered for two years at Voice of America and did a documentary on the Rohingya, traveled the world, did a show for them. You know, but I mean, I, I was lucky. It's just, it's really is the ability to get back up on the horse after being fired. You know, that's the challenge in the business. Being successful is, is not that hard. It's, it's when you take the big hit, getting back up. Thank you for saying that. Um, because one of the things I have learned along the way is how you are not defined by your last position. So if you think you're coming off the local news six o'clock spot, which is the big potato, um, don't expect that you know if you're out on your keister that that's the next job you're gonna get. You might actually get a writer or an AP. You, you have got to be prepared in my books to start all over again. And if you're not, you're going to waste a lot of time and become less valuable. You'll you, Through attrition, your brand will bleed. Uh, what people think of you being out of the business for a long time will bleed. You've got to get back in, back in the thick of things, back among the contacts, back in the know, back working with people who will shoot up quickly and take you with them. So I remember that being a big lesson after that horrendous you know, um, firing. Uh, that I had to just start over from the beginning and uh, eat it. You know, you got to get the ego out and just get back in the game at whatever yeah. positions available. And you always do think it's over, you know, for whatever reason you think, you know, you think that's it. Well, it's not it. That's, you know, as the point you're saying, it's not it. There's so much more to do and there's so many more opportunities, but it, I'm not, I'm not trying to sugarcoat it. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good at all. But I, I, you know, everybody, people I know have gotten fired of the business, everybody has, you know, they've gotten back up on the horse and they're talking about it 20 years later, of, you know, how much they learned from it. And it's not yeah. a good experience. Yeah. I'm sure if you're a football player, it's not a good experience getting flattened either, but they keep doing it, you know. Well, but think, <laughs> and think about those careers. Is, I mean, you're pretty much cooked by the time you're 30 because it's uh, the physical demand. At least we're in a career that has more longevity. You know, talk to me about that. I'm 55 and I was thinking, uh, I'm 69. I'm 69. That's, that's impossible. No, it's 69. Yeah, it's impossible. Yeah, there's a, there's, I always say there's a painting in an attic somewhere that is, you know, atrophying. Uh, but wow, you're, you're amazing. Well, it, it does speak a lot though, Greta, to what we can do now as women, which, um, when I got into this career in the eighties, we couldn't, there was one Barbara Walters and that was it. Right. That's it. Barbara Walters, who once came up to me, by the way, about 50, she's dead now, came up to me about 15 years ago and she put her, her nose right up to me and she said, my God, you're so short. And I looked, I had like this much on her. <laughs> I had a full inch on her. But Barbara Walters, I mean, Barbara Walters, you know, actually, you know, the bad thing about Barbara Walters, she wrote a book and I, I urge all of you to read it because it really is an incredible autobiography. And the thing is that all the people pushed in it, the PR and the marketing, is that she'd had an affair with some senator, which is about six lines in the book of a very fat book. She accomplished so much in trailblazing, making it so much easier for the rest of us. And, you know, she, she was tough as nails. And, uh, you know, she wrote a great book. I think, I, I think it's worthy of reading. Well, and the trailblazers, God bless them, right? Because they really took a lot of hits. I recall her telling stories about 
um, getting up on the, was it the 2020 set with Hugh Downs when she was made a co-anchor of, of, of 2020. And it was the first time a woman had been on a major anchor set in, in uh, American broadcast television. And she said right from the very first day, it was a nightmare. He was, um, he was very, very uh, rough on her. Yeah, no, so, yes, I, I think things have changed uh, significantly for women. Um, I don't think that's heavy. In, in the very beginning, uh, for people, for women, uh, uh, Barbara Walters' age, it was it was very difficult. Yeah. So, and what about that? Like, what about? Uh, women on air in our 50s, 60s, and 70s, because right now there are some, uh, but there are far more men who have, you know, like an infinite shelf life, it seems. Uh, they have to be doddering and dribbling before, you know, men are considered unpalatable for, for television, not the same for women yet. Uh, well, I mean, it's like, look, you know, they're, they're, we're, we all have a shelf life, you know? you know, that's true, men and women, you know, men seem to have a longer shelf life than women. Um, but, you know, as long as like, you know, you know as, as long as you keep building your career, um, you know, hopefully that there'll always be a place for you. But you got to have a willingness to, to think that you've got to evolve into other careers as well. Yeah. Okay. Do you, you know, the worst thing, the worst thing is though, is that if you think about it, the, I say very sarcastically, and you'll know the word, uh, Ashley, but the suits, the suits determine your uh, shelf life, not necessarily the viewers, but the suits and the suits, those are the, the, the management, they haven't, they're not the ones on TV. They don't know the challenges you have, and they can determine what hour of the day you have. Obviously, to be on the eight o'clock hour cable is the coveted one because more televisions are turned on east of the uh, Mississippi River at eight o'clock. So you're going to have the highest rates. If you don't have the highest rates at eight o'clock, there's sort of an issue because that's when all the TV sets are tuned on. If you've got, if you're at two o'clock in the morning, your your ratings are going to be bad. And, you know, because, you know, there are three televisions turned on. So there's a lot, you know, there are a lot of things, dynamics that go into your ratings, which oftentimes measure, you know, your, your shelf life. Not always, but oftentimes do. So um, this is a great question from Chris. Uh, it says, when you started out, how did you envision your career progression? And then I'll just add to that. Are you where you want to be? Are you where you thought you'd be? I, I, I wanted to practice law and I did practice law and I fell into TV and I thought I was just going to be a legal analyst for a little while. And then, then I agreed to do uh, OJ Simpson, which was full time for a year and a half. Then I agreed to do a television show and I kept expecting to leave. When I left CNN in uh, December of 2001, um, I expected I was leaving television. And then I got offered a job because I was done. I was done with television. CNN at that point was falling apart. AOA had come in. And there's nothing worse than when, when management is in, is in turmoil. And, uh, and so then Fox said, well, do you want to sign a, a contract? And I said, okay, well, I'll do that for two more years. And, and then, then there are three more years. And they said, well, how about another one? And so it's, you know, it's just like that. It's just a, it, just keeps, you know, it just keeps happening. But, well, I, but let me say one thing. I'm lucky in that you know, most, a lot of people go into this business with no other career. I had a career practicing law and teaching and I liked it. So I always, you know, so I, I was always sort of the accidental anchor. I never intended to stay, you know, and I have. Yeah. And that, that's, that's pretty nice too, given the fact that you've got that cushion knowing that if this doesn't work out, I've got my career already yeah. and I can jump right back into it, which is another great um, advocacy for, for taking, um, you know, a law degree. I just want to note that Jennifer Gardner mentioned in the chat, I'm going to read it. It says, I didn't want to uh, do law school so much, but I did get two associate's degrees in criminal justice, went to school at age 40. Law school seemed like too much, has helped working in the media significantly. I think that's um, it's a great point. Uh, I haven't done the schooling. I've done the, um, you know, the, the program. On the job training. 
You got the on-the-job training. I did. And I did the fellowship at Loyola as well, which I have felt found so valuable. I made a great friend of Mark Garagos as well. And so I, you know, I was nicely connected for, for guest bookings after that, but credit I've already gone like over time, but I'm so thankful. Um, I could talk to you for another hour. Thank you so much for this. Can I just say one thing? Please do. This is why I did this. Ashley Banfield is one of the most gracious human beings I've ever met. She really is. And she's going to, she feels like that to me and, you know, go ahead and do that to me. She's gracious. and, And she talks about helping other women and other things. That there are a lot of people in this business, you know, they're you know what a mean girl is. You all know what a mean girl is. Well, Ashley's not that. Ashley's the other side of that. And Ashley, you know, having this program, it gives you a little bit of, you know, you can watch Ashley on TV, but you're really not going to get to know Ashley. You get to know Ashley and you see what she's doing here for people. And I got to tell you, Ashley's one of the most gracious. And there's a particular event that you know, I won't belabor, but I got to tell you that uh, there's no one like her. And uh, I, I took my hand and I wanted to be here because I really admire Ashley. There you go. That's just well, you know what? This is why I get into the business so I can work with people like you. Uh, that's the kindest thing you could ever say to anyone in this industry. Greta, thank you so much. Thank I really you. Anyway, happy to do it. See you. See you again soon. All right. Bye. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Don't forget, you can watch me every night on News Nation at 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 Central, and 7 p.m. on the West Coast. Don't know where to watch us? Just go to www.joinnn.com, enter your zip code, and the channel finder will show you where you can find us on your broadcast dial. But don't forget, we're also on all the streamers, Hulu, Roku, YouTube TV. This is Ashley Banfield, and thanks so much for joining me for this edition of Rising Tide. Rising Tide.